Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave, of course, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as I always am, I'm here with my colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. They're both here with me all for your listening pleasure. Hey, guys, how are you today? Good morning. Very good. Good, good. Good to have you back. Here on Every Other Thursday, our podcast, we give you our thoughts and opinions about the major topics of the day, all in the world of food service and hospitality. And lately, that means nothing but COVID-19, the coronavirus, and where are we in the journey? And as we've said before, the coronavirus situation is a topic that keeps evolving and changing. Every episode, there's so much more to discuss that's different than the episode previously, and especially with the various stages of reopening that each of the states here in the U.S. have. And the same is really true in countries outside the U.S. as well and all around the world. Everybody seems to have a varying approach to the reopening of the restaurant and food service industry. And as we get closer and closer to reopening and returning to a dine-in situation, the rules and protocols continue to change and evolve. And that's where I want to start today's discussion. But before we get to that, we need to get some of the general business stuff out of the way. And as most of you now know, every other Thursday, here's our 30 minutes or so podcast where we take on the world of hospitality and food service, giving you our expert thoughts and opinions. And of course, this week's episode, like every other episode of every other Thursday, is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. So gentlemen, with all of that, Let's get started. Where are we now with the reopening, Greg? And where are the opening protocols? What are they shaping up to look like? Where are people going to open up? What's it going to look like when we first walk into our first dining experience in the restaurants? Well, I think that if you look on a national basis, we're all over the place in terms of reopening. Obviously, there's some places that are just are still totally locked down. Others are reopening. In my little network, people are passing around documents showing the protocols from different restaurants, both independent and chains. And it's a daunting challenge out there. I mean, I'm not telling anybody, any operator, something that they don't already know. But what it comes down to, again, is lots, and this is, this is going to become my mantra, it's a lot of small things. We're talking about where dining is reopening, there's a lot of hand washing required. So they're requiring, I've seen some documents, this one in particular for a chain in Tennessee, the wait staff has to wash their hands after every credit card transaction, after every time they bring food out to the table, after every time they clear a table. It's just, it's just a, lot, a lot of that, a lot of keeping masks on and trying your best to do all those little things, seemingly little things that add up. But it's difficult, to, obviously, to run an operation like that. Not only washing the hands, but aren't they changing gloves? I mean, I mean, I've seen a few of the protocols. Aren't they glove changing like every two seconds, it seems like? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's on there, too. They're supposed to be changing gloves, 
again, you know, I'm, I'm saying small things as opposed to like total fumigation of the of the operation or uh, taking temperatures of guests coming in. But then in some states, some areas, they everybody has to, is required to answer questions about whether they've been ill. So it's all over the place. And there's a lot of things, a lot of boxes that have to be checked off. Jay, what have you seen out there? What have you seen online or in maybe in your area or your neck of the woods in terms of protocols? The Pennsylvania market, is that opened up yet for dine, any dine-in at all? Or is it still all takeaway and curbside? No, it's coming soon. But you're asking me that question. You realize I live in York, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit rural, correct? I actually think of York, Pennsylvania as being a little bit suburban and more more family dining, country-oriented, and a little bit of chain business. Yeah, it's a very, very kind of you to be. I'll bring you a little humor to this. I don't know how things are going to go, but if any of you guys ever seen what, you don't know what Comic-Con is? Do you know what that is? Yes. No. Greg knows. It's, it's where people go to celebrate all of this. What is it like? The, the car, Not cartoon shows, but all of the like Star Wars stuff and everybody gets all oh. dressed up. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe we might see some crazy stuff because the other day in a supermarket, you ask about protocols, you got to wear a mask. Yep. Well, not only was this gentleman wearing a mask, he was wearing a full coverage motorcycle helmet with a mask underneath it. So if he shows up at the restaurant, I'd be pretty interesting and kind of comical. But now to, to answer your question seriously, it, it's about the same. I don't think we're as, kind, I won't say crazy, that's the wrong word, but I don't think we're as over the top on some of this. I mean, most people, you know, most people going into a place, they got the mask around their neck and they, you know, they put it on. This morning I had to go get some stuff at my daughters, I drove across town a little bit, two or three miles, and here's a couple of people walking out in on a side road. There's no traffic. There's no nobody. And it's a little bit of a wet day, but it's not a bad day. And they're walking and they got their mask on. I mean, I guess by all intents and purposes, you really don't need it. I've seen guys riding motorcycles with a mask on. And I'm like, so, but I think here, generally people are being careful, but they're not crazy. You know, if you, if you walk by someone, they're not ready to hit you with a bag of groceries. So people are a little bit kinder. So I, I would say we're probably in a, in a relatively sane place to to start going through this thing. And I haven't seen anything really crazy. I mean, I think that motorcycle thing was, that was true, but it was a little humorous to say the least. But. And every place that's been opening up, it has reduced seating or seating that's pushed back and separated, I guess? Yeah, it's all going to be reduced. It's going to be at least no more than 50%, maybe a little bit less. So as we as we talked about in our last episode, operators really need to put pencil to paper and figure out, should I be reopening? What is the cost of all these protocols versus what would be the maximum revenue it could take in? And they might find that even in the best case scenario, they're losing money. Yeah, they're going to lose money. But I mean, if they can mitigate the loss and not make it as dramatic as it would be if you had nothing going on, I think that's really where the tipping point's going to be. I think if we can get to 2021, my gut tells me this, we're going to be in much better shape, maybe even have some kind of medications that you could be injected with that's going to help. But yeah, we had Josh Blitzstein from a sales rep in the Berkeley, California market. He's got a showroom in Berkeley, but he covers Northern California, Northern Nevada, and Hawaii. And he was talking about opening up, and with 25% of seating in a city like San Francisco, probably, Greg, just like Chicago, you just can't make the numbers work at all. So you're going to need a huge concession from your landlord at a minimum to really make what you described, Greg, as the figures. You're going to lose money, but you'll lose less maybe by just by staying closed. But you, there's no way you can even come close to making money if you don't get a major concession out of landlord or some sort of – You have a maybe you own the building. That's great. But a lot of restaurateurs do not. The response is absolutely. But the landlords have been projected as bad guys 
in this yeah. scenario, and I'm no big landlord fan. However, you know, they have expenses and, you know, upkeep, insurance, taxes, their note on their mortgage, etc. So it's just really a tough cycle. And I'm not telling anything that our listeners don't already know. Well, I, I think that one of the things that, that I read interestingly uh, is a, a guy, Brad Pierce. I don't know if you guys know that name. He's the president of Restaurant Equipment World. He posted online this week his uh, COVID-19 recovery vision. And he had an interesting thought thinking that we're probably going to lose between 18 to 30 percent, according to Brad Pierce, of the restaurants. But when that starts to happen and, and he feels that that'll be pretty much underway, certainly by third quarter of this year, then you're going to start to see uh, an incredible return to dining with the remainders, the people who do survive. So he sees the recovery more of a V than a U-shaped which we're, we're all kind of thinking it might be a little stretched out. And I think according to Brad, he, he thinks it's going to be a little quicker for some. Of course, there will be some casualties along the way. You know, you hear all of this stuff on television about we're all this in together and there's a lot of people doing a lot of good things. And, you know, that, that's going to have to go to the next level because, I mean, if you take a look at it, I mean, we are in, a, in kind of a war and a, in a desperate situation, at least nothing like I've ever seen in my lifetime. But at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, not everybody can do it, but if you're a big property owner and you've got a lot of stuff going on like that. I mean, it, you throw this restaurant guy out, who the heck are you going to rent it to? That's really where it begins and ends kind of. And Well, I, I would agree with you, Jay, because I think restaurants, they don't get enough credit for being oftentimes, particularly in, in neighborhoods that are being gentrified, whatever, they, restaurants are often the first people in. Yep. Yep. And they need the restaurants in to draw to sell the apartment units or condo units or whatever, or houses. Yeah. And so it's an anchor operation in situations like that. I mean, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, people don't give them enough credit, but there's some pragmatic parts to it too. Landlords can be as forgiving as they want to be, but they can only be as forgiving as their bankers are to them. Right. Right. And that's why I think it's going to be, it's going to depend on the situation. But I, you know, I, I honestly think, you know, you, like everything else in life, you're going to run into some people who are callous and don't care. And even if they could do it, they wouldn't and all of that. But there's going to be other people that are going to really go the extra mile and try to do all they can to, to keep this thing propped up. I, I think we're in the business. And I'll be frank with you. I, I mean, we think about selling our products that we represent for our factory and yada, yada and all that. But to be perfectly honest with you, I never really, really realized what kind of a situation these restaurateurs and operators bring to the society. I mean, this is an outlet for everybody and a level of enjoyment. I mean, it's really pretty scary. Just the fact that we can't go to them. Yeah, you get cabin fever, but then you start to think about, okay, <laughs> I mean, if half the restaurants are more in this country close, I mean, boy, what a, what a, what a disruption of the society it's going to be. Dave, just, a, I guess, almost kind of a trivial note, looking far ahead, I, uh, I started my, my career a million years ago in oil exploration, then pivoted to food service. You're scaring me because you went from oil exploration to bone marrow spoons. Right. I got to get my head around that for a minute. Well, it's, it's actually a long story that I, well, that'll be another episode. But the point is, I've seen the oil industry is extremely cyclical. And so it goes up and down, up and down. And I've seen where where it's been down, where guys come in and they buy up a massive amounts of equipment that's gone idle and they buy it for a nickel on the dollar, a dime on the dollar, and they just store it. And they hold it until the next upturn and make 
fortunes, literally. So there's going to be opportunities, just like for everything else. And there is, there are opportunities. Nature abhors a vacuum. We need restaurants. We need food service. And there will be a huge vacuum created coming up here. We don't know how soon that vacuum will be filled, but it will be filled. And for someone that's now is a great opportunity. I, I hate to sound uh, opportunistic, but there's going to be a lot of equipment and a lot of tabletop items on the mm-hmm. market that can be bought for a song. And uh, if somebody can do that and hold it, there's going to be a big market down the road. Well, supposedly more more gazillionaires were made during the Great Depression that had the funds. I mean, some of the big names we know, you know, like Getty Oil and all of those kind of. I mean, they made more money off of that situation. And hey, look, you know, it, it kind of boils down to some. You might look at that and go, well, geez, those people are really bad people. Well, not really, because when you look at all of the the, the people that are employed by those gazillionaires and made a lot of that money because they were able to take advantage of that. So if you're, you know, if you're a kind of guy or gal that can do that and you're a decent human being, it probably ends up turning out to be a good situation, you know? I mean, it's... Yeah, we're getting ready to take, we're going to take a break here in a minute. But before we do that, I want to touch on one aspect. I want to talk about uh, keeping employees safe in the idea that will restaurants have trouble attracting employees? And I know, Greg, we brought this up a couple of weeks ago and you seem to think that with the unemployment situation, restaurants won't have any problem finding help. But on the other hand, how will restaurateurs ensure that they keep their employees safe? Well, I think they're going to, have to, in one format or another, they're going to have to do a lot of the practices that were on that sheet. I think that sheet takes it a little bit over the top. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you're not supposed to touch your face, really. How do you rub your eyes if you got a piece of grit in it with your elbow? I mean, some, some of the stuff is you can't even get your arms around it. I mean, if, if we're doing, as a human being, if I'm doing 25% of what they're talking about doing, and I wash my hands all the time, I'm very careful, I wear my mask, yada, yada. But to try to do what's on that list, I, I think if, if you're a restaurateur and you let the people know what you're doing, they experience your restaurant and they see what you're doing, you're going to create a level of confidence. I think it'll be fine. And that goes for not only the employees, but it also goes for the diners. I was going to say, any any worry about the guests coming in, being infected and infecting the uh, the staff? Yeah, I would think you'd be worried about it, but you you would hope that, you know, the people coming in, it's kind of a chance. What do you do? How do you, how do you, that's one, that's a tough one. I mean, unless you want to take temperature at the door and all of that other stuff. I mean, it's like putting a metal detector up in the front of your restaurant. I haven't heard of anybody requiring temperatures at the door. How would you feel if you went to a restaurant and they wanted to take your temperature as you walked in? Well, just like everything else in this whole pandemic, it's, I wouldn't feel totally comfortable with it. But on the other side, it would make me feel more confident that when I entered right. the place that I was safer. So would I want to do it? No. Would I do it? Yes. You know, so that's where it nets out. It's actually a pretty good idea, I think, when you think about that. We talked a lot in the last episode about the optics. That gives a certain optic if I'm taking your temperature when you come to be a guest at my restaurant. Sure. So... All good stuff. Listen, uh, we're going to take a break right now and I want to come back. I want to talk about how do we keep that love and feeling of hospitality and graciousness and serving others? How do we get that hospitality vibe in light of all these protocols that we're talking about? Changing gloves every two seconds, washing our hands, masks, all these plexiglass shields I see that everybody's offering. Is it possible at all? Uh, And how important is it that feeling of hospitality and guest experience. I want to talk about that when we come back because I do think people dine out for the experience and I wonder if we're going to just totally forfeit that, that great dining experience. So we'll be right back 
with uh, every other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journals connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Every Other Thursday. I want to welcome you back. We're talking about COVID-19, the reopening, the journey. We're, we're getting ready to enter through a portal. And it seems like in every state and even every country outside the U.S., there's, everybody's got a varying opinion on what's going to be required in terms of safety and security and keeping guests safe. And we just touched a little bit on keeping the staff safe as well. And now I want to swing around to keeping the quality quality of the guest experience. I really believe that people go out to dine to, in a restaurant for a quality experience, however they define it. And I don't think they go out to be reminded about all this COVID-19 problem that they've been living with. We talk a lot about the optics. We've talked about those in episodes prior. How do we walk that fine line between great optics of safety and confidence, the safety of dining in a restaurant, and still providing a good experience? for the guests. How do we do that, guys? Well, one one thing, and this sounds very, very self-serving to this podcast, but we've been talking about tabletop uh, items and what can the operator do to make it at least feel more comfortable, seem more comfortable, as well as actually help you know prevent spread of the virus. And we're talking about covers, cloches, these type of things. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, disposable menus, even paper tablecloths that are removed after each guest is left and uh, put a new one put on. I think those things, they can add to the guest experience. Yes. Yeah, paper placemats, uh, the, you know, where, where they weren't used before, you know, mm-hmm. it would create much better optics about hygiene and cleanliness. Yeah, I think first let's talk about what cleanliness has been there uh, going forward. And I think most restaurateurs have always paid attention to sanitation, to cleanliness, both in the front of the house for sure, but also in the back of the house where the food is prepared, whatever. I think most restaurateurs pay very close attention to that because if they don't, they're not in business very long. And so I think generally speaking, restaurants, in my opinion, are not not always the case, of course, but generally speaking, they're they're safe and they're now going to be even more safe than ever before. So let me just say that. I'm just worried that we go overboard with all the gloves, the masks, the sanitation, the sprays, and all that stuff, and we lose that that quality guest experience. Well, that's certainly the case because people go out and one of the things they're paying for is beyond just sustenance. It is about the experience, the hospitality, the gathering, the community, for lack of a better term, the warm feeling you get with dining and dining among others. So the, so the challenge, obviously, is, is to how do you bring that as close to the past as possible going forward? It's a great point, but you know, think about it as well. How many times have you been out to a restaurant where the server was surly and Really not very personable, and the other. I mean, just because we all go out and have a, how many meals do we go out where the service is ideal? I think that's going to improve if you're getting kind of an attitude and you're waiting on customers. Now, 
that's probably the last time you'll ever see that customer in your restaurant again. But the, the other thing too, that I was thinking about, it'll be interesting to me, like if you're in a restaurant where you could take a wall out and put a view into the kitchen for guests to see how your kitchen is operating, I think any guys and gals that can do that in their restaurants, I'd do that right away. Make that as part of the that whole experience. Because I know every place I've ever been where you can see the kitchen operating, it's kind of really cool. But It'll be also for a different reason now. Are there any marketing opportunities that come out of all these new protocols? Finger bowls. I think finger bowls are going to be big. Yeah, there, There's always a uh, marketing opportunity coming from me, a marketing person. You know, for example, masks. You could put messages on the masks, make the masks as fun as possible, brand the mask, brand the gloves, and try to bring some levity to all the all the rules, but post the rules and the protocols on the uh, website about what you're doing. Hey, c- you know, come on down. We're following all all the all the regulations. So feel safe, feel comfortable, and uh, let's make let's all make the best of it. And I know I'm being overly simplistic, and it's tough for operators out there. And I'm, I'm not and I'm not preaching, but it's again all that kind of every look at every aspect of your business. How can you make it fun? How could you make it safe? Yep. Yeah, I think some of the small things, Greg, that you you mentioned when you were walking in your neighborhood that restaurateurs could do, operators could do, even for, at little things like sandwich boards or whatever to make them more inviting. Because I think the trick initially, the, the marketing initially is going to be, how do I get you just to walk through the door? Sure. And, and I think to somehow create a an inviting vibe at least on the outside of it, with both your your website, your homepage on the website, and maybe the front of the restaurant itself and make it seem uh, that very inviting to want to go in because that's the first decision in marketing to get that customer to consider walking through the door. Once they're in the door, then you want to make sure that it's a different type of marketing. After you hit the, the security and the confidence button, which Jay was talking about, then I think you've got to create that great experience to get them to come back a second time. Well, I think I think it's going to give owners of restaurants another opportunity too, because I I think it's absolutely a smart operator to spend a lot of time thanking their guests for coming, greeting their guests at the door. When we were in Charleston for the Wine and Food Festival, we went out to eat at a couple of places, and it was happened there in I think almost every restaurant we went to. That doesn't happen much around here anymore. At least I mean, our favorite restaurant in town, Dave, you know it well. I mean, John's in there an awful lot doing that. But I think restaurateurs and these operators are going to have to spend more time on the floor thanking the guests. They're, they're putting themselves out in their own environment. That's one of the things to make me feel better. People are here, the owners here, and, you know, then doing the things like thanking people with an extra dessert, or maybe you give them a, a gift card once in a while for so much off a cup when you come back for your second or third time. I mean, there'll be all kinds of great stuff going on, but I, I think it's an opportunity for the really personable operators to shine. So I've been approached by my operator friends to help them brainstorm about what they can do and about this whole fun aspect and safe aspect. And so one idea I came up with that everybody might just think is horrible is how about life-size cardboard cutouts of people or mannequins as a fun, not trying to deceive anybody, but just as a fun aspect. And so you have to have seating 
at least six feet apart, yet they have 50% of your dining room shut down. Well, you fill in the spots with these people as just kind of a fun space holder. Hey, as strange as that may sound, I think that's better than all these tables being pushed 10, 12 feet apart or whatever they're going to be. I, I, I don't think that sounds as, as, as bad as I walk in and, and I've got a table in the middle of the room that four of us are going to sit at with some plexiglass. I mean, the plexiglass thing I think to me is, is hard to get over. I can't get over that obstacle. So here's a uh, uh, idea for entrepreneurs out there. Hey, start pushing out these foam cutouts of, of patrons and start selling them to operators that are just trying to create uh, fun space, spacing. So I walk into the restaurant and the restaurant's filled with people that look like Jay uh, in every chair. <laughs> right. I get the hell out of that restaurant quick. I wouldn't even go near that restaurant. <laughs> of course, of course, all the cutouts there. There's uh, it's uh, pictures of people and they're all wearing masks. I, I don't trust Greg anymore because in five seconds I mentioned Comic Con and what happens? He comes back with the cutout people sitting in my restaurant. Stole <laughs> so my idea. Good guy. <laughs> I'll give you a commission. Yeah, really. Thank you. No, I, I think it is about that experience. And you don't, again, you don't want to, at least I, I can't imagine people want to walk into a room that's whatever it is. It you know, can be 30 or 40 feet long by the same uh, wide. And all of a sudden there's this six tables or four tables there. Or you're reading in, the, in an auditorium on a basketball of, uh, like floor. I think there's going to have to be some concessions to that. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, whether it's cut out people or men or whatever, but I think there's got to be uh, some way to make you feel, again, comfortable and, and give that great guest experience. Well, again, if, looking at tabletop solutions, so you're going to have all these spaces, you're going to have empty tabletops. Well, then maybe there's opportunity for vases with flowers or lighting with candles. You read my mind, literally. That, I think that that's fantastic. I, I think that putting the proper kind of music in a restaurant, which takes some thought, you know, but the flower thing, and, and I think the changing of the decors, I think you're going to see a lot of that. They're up, upgrading the decors, making it a happier space. I saw some pictures the other day of uh, mini greenhouses outside in a parking lot where you had a foretop that had its own greenhouse around it. Yeah. And I think that's great on a beautiful night. But when it gets to be 85 degrees out, I'm not sure I want to eat inside a greenhouse. Or you could have the, the, the tables next to the windows growing herbs yeah. on the tabletop. I mean, these are crazy ideas, and I'm just throwing them out there, but there's a lot of ways where you could soften the impact of the of inside and make it feel comfortable. You're going to see a lot more outdoor dining. One of our guys is going to change half, a quarter of his parking lot into an eating space. See, that's the one of the beautiful things about our business I really love is we talked about it before, the resilience, but also the creativity of, the, of this industry. And I do think that, unfortunately, we're going to lose some uh, restaurants, but I think you're going to see some, over the next three, four, five months, you're going to see some unbelievably creative ways to make people feel confident again. And I really do believe that by, uh, let's say, the end of the year, you've got restaurants coming back much bigger and stronger than they've been in a long time. So. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be fun to be a part of and fun to watch. I think, you know, I think it's going to be, you got to be optimistic. We, you know, this country's got capabilities that we don't, we don't even know all that we can do yet, but there's no question that people that live in the United States can, can get it done and make it happen. I'm confident we're going to be okay. 
And I mentioned it before uh, last week and every other Thursday, we're, we're preparing a next week. We're going to have a special edition of Seat Yourself. That's our other podcast where we talk about specifically about cocktails to go. And I think takeout's going to be with us for a long time for almost every restaurant that's, uh, you know, using it to supplement their income and be maybe a reduced menu, whatever. But I also think the opportunity for cocktails to go is pretty good in terms of its profitability and also whether it's actual cocktails, uh, uh, spirits and, and all that, or it's a bottle of wine or whatever, I think finding ways to, again, get that takeout experience to be similar or as, as similar as you can to the in, in-house restaurant experience. If a restaurant or a bar has a signature cocktail, you got to find a way to sell that on a carryout basis because the laws have been relaxed and in some cases permanently relaxed. We talk about, you know, we talk about pent up demand and, you know, will the customers come back? Last night, this just came into my, we were invited over to my, my youngest daughter's home for Cinco de Mayo, right? So I said, are you cooking? Oh, no. She says, I'm ordering out. And we have a guy that owns a couple of restaurants in this whole Lancaster, Mexican place. The food is fantastic. Anyway, the long story short was we, my wife and I got to her home at 630. My daughter walked in with the food at quarter after nine. And she was communicating with us because we were worried about it. We thought something happened. And, and then her phone died. Somebody before the phone died, she told us what was going on. They had people waiting in their cars. The restaurant would call your phone number. They had the police had to come just to, not to chase anybody away, but the parking lot was full. They were parked across the street in a place, a couple of places where people were not open. And that and this is not a huge restaurant. It's, maybe it seats a hundred people if it seats that. The to go business last night for that restaurant was off, just off the charts. I mean, can you imagine six thirty to quarter after nine? to get yeah. Mexican food's not that hard to make. No, I think the, I, I think you got to manage that a little better. That's uh, oh, yeah, uh, that was a get people in and get them out and that kind of thing. I, nobody wants to do that. To me, it just demonstrated because I said to my daughter, I said, she says some people drove away because you had to pay online. All those people who were there, their food was paid for. So that's how much I think people want to get out and, and, and start to get back to them. Yeah, there's some pent up demand. That's for sure. Crazy. Greg, any last thoughts? Well, as always, I, I end all my all these episodes with think small and try to make it fun. There are opportunities out there. The only other piece that I would add to everything that we've said is that where we start with all this process is not where we're going to end up. And I think people need to understand that. And I think they need to be agile and nimble enough to change. And to your point, I think it was the last episode, Greg, I think that independent operators have a leg up in that respect. The chains have some advantages for sure. But I think in terms of being able to evolve and to adjust to the changing environment, and we didn't talk a lot about it today. In the next episode, I want to talk about how do we get customer feedback? How do we know if the customers like the experience we're getting or not? When you start getting customer feedback, I, I really do think you can, uh, independents can adjust and change to that. If there's something they're doing that customers don't like, they can uh, modify it, make it better, or at least explain it with signage or however they're doing it. But I, I, I'm really excited about where we're going. Every Every time that we get together here on every other Thursday, it seems like there's been a lot happening and it's a very different landscape than it was just two weeks prior. If anybody uses uh, my foam cutout idea, let us know. You get a royalty. No, no royalty. Let us know. We'd like to talk about it on, on a future episode.
<laughs> All right, gentlemen. I want to put a plug in for our Cocktails to Go segment. That'll be next Wednesday, the 13th of May. We've got Xander Lorenzen Hansen, uh, bartender extraordinaire. He's a cocktail expert. He's coming on. We're going to spend a full hour with him, and we're going to talk about Cocktails to Go. Uh, so mark your calendars for that episode. Guys, it's been great again today, and I appreciate it. And thank you, listeners, for joining us here on Every Other Thursday. It's always good to get together with you guys. Thank you. See ya. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.